1: all right everybody welcome to barca talk the show for barcelona fans by barcelona fans thanks for joining us this week i'm brian henderson one of your hosts as usual i'm at my humble home in buffalo new york and joining me via skype from his vacation home in cupertino california is your other host gabriel quiroga
0: hey brian and fellow coolies uh I'm here in beautiful Cupertino, my kind of hometown here on vacation as the traveling nomad, as I go up the coast of California. How are you doing, Brian?
1: I'm doing well. So, like, when you're in Cupertino, do you just go and drive around Infinity Loop at Apple headquarters all day long or anything?
0: It's funny that you actually said that because uh, my friends were texting me and they're like, because I texted them that I was in Cupertino and my friend loves Apple products. And he's like, oh my God, go
1: take a picture in front of Infinity Loop. And I'm like, uh, that's probably not going to happen. So,
0: <laughs> as, as a native. We
1: were just talking before we recorded that you don't even have an iPhone. No,
0: I don't have an iPhone. I've been uh, outside the Apple environment for more than six years or so. So, but uh, yeah, you know, growing up here in the Bay Area in the Silicon Valley, you know, Apple is just like not a big deal. So, you
1: know. Well, they're also just kind of everywhere in the Bay Area. Exactly. Are you going to get the new iPhone? It's only a grand. It's only a thousand dollars. I mean, maybe if this podcast really takes off <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean the movie for it does look really cool. It makes it look like you know, like iPhones are supposed to look, which are like the most amazing device you've ever seen.
0: I mean I just want them to like you know, they haven't revolutionized in a while and I love tech gadgets and so forth and I'm just looking for you know, before when jobs was alive. You know, obviously he was the inspiration behind a lot of the things, you know, with these, with this new iPhone, there's really nothing that the Samsung doesn't have already or these other phones. So,
1: um, but you know, people are going to buy them. You know, they're going to buy it. Oh, yeah. Because they're locked in. Correct. I mean, I, and I'm I'm guilty of that. I'm totally locked in. Like, am I going to get a Samsung? No. Why? <laughs> just because.
0: <laughs> just because. I'm an Apple guy. Exactly. Just because,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. How's the uh, vacation going?
0: Uh, the vacation's going well. Um, just a couple snafus with Wi-Fi because I have to use Wi-Fi to communicate with everyone. But other than that, it's been good weather. Good to hang out with family. But uh, I head back to Spain on Tuesday.
1: Kind of looking forward to getting back to my routine. And uh, yeah, so looking forward to that. Nice. Well, before we get into the Barca Talk proper, we want to let you know about another podcast that you can check out. It's called World Football Talk Podcast. If you love world football, World Football Talk Podcast has you covered – Your hosts, Thomas Formoso and Ryan Linder, give their thoughts and insights on the latest news, rumors, results, and predictions for the biggest leagues in the world, including the Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, Champions League, and more. You can catch the show every Tuesday or Wednesday, I guess they're a little flexible, on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. World Football Talk podcast, check it out! So to start off uh, with our Barca talk today, Gabriel, uh, we have a couple of listener comments and questions. So first, coming uh, via Twitter from SmokeRunner22, I like SmokeRunner22, he's he's very active with us, I like I like him. Cool dude. Uh, his question is, y'all believe Suri is perfect, quote, replacement for Iniesta? I'd say Conte would be perfect, CFC would be a fool to let him go, though.
0: Yeah, this is a really good question from SmokeRunner22. I love the Twitter handles, they're always fascinating to me, but... Uh... Suri would be a good replacement. Obviously, Barcelona was trying to go after him this summer, but they did not finalize the transfer. Uh, We talked about in the summer transfer podcast about that. Um, Obviously, Conte would be amazing because that guy has a motor that doesn't quit. He's almost like uh, Mascherano version 4.0, like the way Mascherano used to motor around as a midfield for Liverpool. Uh, Conte has double the motor and just a little bit better technically. Um, but obviously Chelsea would never let him go because they just got him on the cheap, basically. Um, do you know anything about Surrey? Do you like Surrey's game, Brian?
1: I like Surrey's game, what I've seen of it, although I'm, you know, I was pretty discouraged by how things went down over the summer. And I, I know that he would be obviously excited to come to Barcelona, but I just don't know if the relations between the clubs are there to make anything like that happen. You know, I'd like, I don't know if they're going to bring him in in January or if they're even really going to seriously go after him again.
0: Yeah, everything I kind of read recently about the January transfer window is they're almost pretty set with the squad. I don't think um, Serie is going to come in January. And Barcelona is all, also not really known to go after players in January as well. They usually like to have the players come in at the summertime and really install them into the Barca way. So I don't see him coming in January. And also, like we, like you just said, the um, the relation between the two clubs could be on a little bit on the out and out. So... We don't know if also Nice could rack up the transfer fee just to give it to Barcelona.
1: Well, thanks a lot for the question, SmokeRunner22. You can go follow him on Twitter also. Our next question uh, comes from Miguel uh, via Instagram. His question is, uh, what do you guys think of the idea of Christian Pulisic as Blaugrana? I think he's a pretty young midfielder and has a great future ahead of him. Could work great for Barcelona. I I want to start off with this because I actually had never heard of Christian Pulisic. I I immediately told Miguel, oh, he's not really uh, on our our radar, but uh, we'll look into it. And then I looked up a highlight reel and I said, man, this guy's insane. He's like insanely good. And he's American? Oh, that's crazy. I didn't even know about this guy. Then I contacted you. And why don't you take it from there?
0: Yeah. So actually, you know, in the summertime, I was hoping that Barcelona would get him and also get him on the cheap because I think he would be an amazing fit for Barca. Uh, His style, his technical ability, he's super young, could have got him on the cheap, uh, groomed him to the Barca style. And plus, selfishly, as an American, it would have been simply amazing to have him on Barcelona because that is like... It would be like almost like a part of me being on Barca, you know, but I love this kid. I can do a whole podcast of this kid. This kid is amazing because he's playing uh, in Germany. He speaks German. So he took the lead to learn a second language, which a lot of American players <coughs> landed Donovan have not done, um, you know, and also he is fully embracing The football life in Germany and that is really huge right because like we've had stars like Landon Donovan Dempsey who had the potential to really have their career blossom overseas and they decided to go back to MLS and I understand money, you know fame and all these things but man like for the Americans to have an idol overseas is really huge to grow the game and Pulisic is amazing he's played in Champions League games already last year he played against Real Madrid had an amazing assist every time I watch him I get goosebumps like I am so excited to see him he's got a lot of potential super potential and a lot of pressure because now he's the wonder kid for U.S. soccer uh, above and beyond Uh, if you watch any of his highlights it's amazing I've seen interviews the kid is very grounded and for me, the bet, the most important thing too, is that he's accepted this football life. Like he speaks German. If you watch any interviews in Borussia Dortmund's website, he speaks German. Like that is crazy to me. He's like 19, you know? So yeah, I could do, I love this kid because he's the opposite of Landon Donovan who Landon Donovan was the hope, the great white hope for U.S. soccer, and he just fizzled. And he annoys me so much just of how he didn't push himself to stay at Everton or to stay in the Bundesliga. Like, he just went back to the MLS to be back home and to make money. And to me, that's just kind of if you want to be one of the best soccer players and to push yourself as an athlete, you got to try the hardest leagues in the world, you know. And if you fail, you fail. But if you don't, you know, I don't know. That's – I love – Man, if, if he, he's still on Barca's radar, I mean, he's still on Barca's radar because he's super young. Oh, he's got to yeah. be. And he fits the type. Like, he's a quick winger with very technical ability passing, and he sees, like, the third level of passing almost like Messi. I mean, obviously not like Messi, but he has a couple tendencies there where he can see those really nice through balls.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, like you were saying, you think that he would probably fit in well with the Barcelona style and the Barca way. Because, I mean, from what I saw, it seems like he's pretty much at least halfway, probably a little bit more there. Like, I I think he... I'm reminded of The Phantom Menace, right? Which is widely known as the worst Star Wars movie ever. But, you know, this idea that, like, you can be born with, like, Jedi stuff in your blood. Something in his upbringing or, you know, his training, or maybe it's just something about his personality and the way he sees the game. But uh, he seems to have a little bit of, like... Barcelona DNA in him, right? He has there's there's almost something genetic about him that would would slot him perfectly into Barcelona.
0: Yeah, I mean, and whoever is the scouting director at Borussia Dortmund, Barcelona should definitely hire that guy because their team in the last 6 years has been amazing. They bring up really young talent, they groom them. They're almost like they almost have the La Masia of the German, of the Bundesliga, and unfortunately they have to sell their players to Bayern to make money, right? But Their team is so young, so talented. I mean, obviously, we got Dembele from them. So whoever is the scouting director, like, Barcelona should definitely go after that guy because that guy can scout. But, yeah, I mean, Pulisic, every time Borussia Dortmund is on TV, I'm watching. I'm glued because I'm cheering for this guy. I want this guy to be our number one best player and to take over Landon Donovan's
1: reign. Uh, I don't think there's any question that he's going to eventually just make Landon Donovan a, a distant memory. Which is great. Correct. I mean, I'm going to
0: – now that I'm talking about it, I'm going to put a – I found a really great YouTube uh, documentary, mini documentary on Vice about him that's about like eight minutes long. It's really great. It talks about his upbringing. Both his parents played football growing up um, and how he defected to Germany, learned German. It's just really fascinating. And the kid's like 19 years old. Like think about when you were 19. Like I was a freshman in college partying and all of a sudden like if you – put me in Germany trying to play professional like I I don't know if I could have survived
1: yeah really well actually it's it's also interesting or lucky that we're talking about him this week because he he turns 19 this Monday so we're recording this on Saturday but by the time this episode comes out Christian will have turned 19 years old so happy birthday Christian come to Barcelona
0: yeah exactly with open arms
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely so thanks a lot to uh, Miguel uh, via Instagram uh, for that question. It was an unexpected delight to talk about. I didn't realize Gabriel knew so much about him and uh, that he would be so excited to talk about it. Now, okay, so this next one is for me. Messi cannot play piano that well. So I don't know if like I don't know how many people saw this. I think a lot of people saw this. It it actually kind of went pretty viral and blew up on social media this this video. Uh, it was a p- kind of a promo for the Champions League just before this, the first group stage matches were about to start. It's this video, apparently captured on a you know on someone's phone, of Leo Messi sitting at a piano playing the uh, Champions League theme, your favorite song, correct? And I immediately I posted it on our Facebook page. But my immediate response was, "Is this even real?" And it turns out that it's not. And here's why I was upset. Okay, tell me more. There's no way. <laughs> Oh, Actually, let me back up. So, as you know, I have a lot of musical training. I'm very experienced as a musician. Yes. And I know what good piano playing sounds like, and I know what it looks like. So I'm watching this video, and I'm like, he looks so incredibly comfortable and at ease at the piano, and his hands are just floating on the keys. They're all in the right place. Like, it's getting played. And if you listen to it, it, there's this nice little run of notes, fairly fast-moving you know not not just anybody could could just pull that off. you'd have to really practice piano and really know your way around a piano to do that. so the reason I was upset was there's no way that this guy <laughs> can be that good at football and that good at piano like you you could be one or the other, but you can't be both. you son of a bitch <laughs> that's that was my initial thought, and it turns out. Um, yeah, it was done with uh, some fancy editing and they got a professional pianist named Tomas Foch to do the playing. And they like copied um, Messi's tattoos onto his arms so that they could uh, create this illusion. That's a nightmare. I mean,
0: what I was going to say is I would have preferred if they just got one of those pianos that self-played the song and then he just had his hands over it. You know, that would have been funny. But by the way, the Champions League song, if I ever get married or at my funeral they'll probably play that song. So that's how much I love that song. You know, I would probably put the Star Wars theme 1A1B with that. But uh yeah, I mean it was a really cool ad, you know, you, you, like I said I love that song and obviously whoever were the creative forces behind that really great job, but they could have just got a piano that self-played and he could have just, you know, put his hands over it, it would have been just as good. But yeah, when you sent it to me I was like, "Oh my god, Messi plays the Champions League" Theme, this is amazing you know and then i was like ah it's gotta be fake
1: yeah i mean it's it would have it actually would have been pretty funny if they'd have gotten a player piano to and he would just sit there with his waving his hands over it but that's the thing is like it looks so real so they went like above and beyond on this apparently the the pianist he he was there like all day and he had to play the song like a hundred times and he said that he'd be perfectly happy to never play it again
0: Oh no, don't ever say that. I would I would just keep playing it one thousand times. You know what's funny is that in Spain Messi has like these random commercials. Like uh he's like in the Lay's commercial, right? Uh like Lay's potato chips. And the commercial is this, him at a friend at a house with a bunch of friends. And I'm like, A, Messi doesn't have friends. B, he's not eating Lay's potato chips. You know, and I always make fun of it because it's totally CGI, the friends around him and stuff, they're like on this couch and he's just like Hey, have a potato chip on me and it's like fake. So, another <laughs> another fake commercial in Messi's playbook here.
1: Oh, that's funny. Um okay, so our next thing um yet again, um the the leadership of of FC Barcelona has when they could just be fine just keeping their mouths shut, they still want to come out and and tell the press about the fact that um even though Messi has not signed his contract yet, uh he's totally going to. And his father's already signed it. And like um Bartomeo, he was on um Forum de Jacques program for eight T V and he said that Leo's commitment to Barça is total. His father has signed the renewal and therefore the only thing left to do is take the photograph. So he's really trying to like make a PR statement that the deal is actually done. His father's already signed the contract. You know, all we need is to find the time to to get the photograph taken with him, you know, he's going to sign. And that's fine. That's fine. But I just don't understand why he has to keep talking about this. It seems like I I again, I I'm pretty sure Messi's going to sign and it's all going to level out over time. But just just shut up. It's not going to hurt if you just shut up. You know, the thing is is like when
0: you have to remember like how the press is in Madrid and Barcelona. It's almost like the old way of like the New York Times and the Boston Globe was in the seventies and eighties where they had, you know, 15 journalists on one topic, right? So they have like, let's say sport, they have 15 people just covering Barcelona and they have 15, you know, maybe five other people calling Espanol. So the concentration and the spotlight on Barcelona is huge. That's why a lot of managers burn out because of the spotlight, the pressure and all those things. Now, I agree. Bartomeu shouldn't say anything. I mean, just don't say anything, just wait till it gets signed, take the picture and and be done with it and just pray that there's no, no confidence, right? That's the thing. You know, Barcelona is winning now. The pressure is starting to ease up a little bit. So just don't say anything. But again, they think that just
1: speaking about it and keep talking in a positive light is better than nothing. I just I guess I just disagree with uh, their PR tactics, but I see where they're coming from. I think their PR tactics are
0: terrible as well. I mean, they again, like we talked about in previous episodes about the old Spanish way of not only public relations, but the way they deal with the media. They just need a new revolution, you know, and they need to you know, they can be open to the media, but they don't have to say that much. Right. There's a careful line of how professional uh management do that, right? They can be really open and they don't have to say a lot, right? So there's a careful line and the Barca board don't know how to do that. They get annoyed with the media. They, you know, every time they know they're going to get questions about everything. So it's just like, Oh, you know, just talk about something else, smile and deflect,
1: smile and deflect. That's all they have to do, but I don't think they're going to learn how to do that. Okay. So moving, moving forward, speaking of the, the censure effort, the, the no confidence campaign, Uh, Benedito held a press conference on Friday and said that he had already collected 7,278 signatures of a total that he needs, uh, 16,000 plus. Now, by Saturday, we're recording this on Saturday, uh, he had tweeted that they had actually exceeded... 8,000 signatures and the only um, controversy at this point is that there is still a disagreement between the club and Benedito about the deadline so the club is saying that the deadline to get all of these signatures gathered and turned in is September 27th Benedito says October 2nd because there's a disagreement about whether Saturday is a working day or not and then there are holidays involved and you're shaking your head
0: because again this is like this is like the Copa del Rey final Every goddamn year for the Copa del Rey final, they don't know where they're going to play before the Copa del Rey campaign starts Again, last year, they asked Real Madrid, can we play there? Oh, is Barca in the final? No, you can't play here We have to resaw the lawn It's like, what? This is the same thing Why can't Barca and just say, Barca just say, October 2nd, done, and then that's it You know, there's always this negotiation Working days, Saturday, you gotta be kidding me Like, this is so typical so of course, this is going to go into what happens if he gets fifteen thousand nine hundred and eighty signatures by the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth, right? He needs like that extra days or whatever, and then that's going to create so much flux with everything, and because you know that's going to happen, <laughs> it's going to come down to the last days, you know, right? Because of, of how this is going to work out. I'm kind of it's interesting like how my point of view has changed from the summertime to now, right? Like obviously with the games in hand that we've we've won. The way Valverde is handling the team, you know, when we were recording the summer, it was almost like SOS, right? It was purely like we were sinking. we need the change. Now that I'm kind of seeing how right now he only has 8,000 signatures and he needs, still needs like a week away, I don't know if he's going to get it. And I thought that the Soces would be stronger To come out at least just to bring the vote up to, you know, to have the vote, you know. So I don't know if they're going to get it. I don't know if they're going to get it, especially with the working days and how this is all coming about. Um, You know, I thought Benedito was a little bit better organized, as we talked about in the previous episode, of how he's a businessman. But again, I forgot he was a Spanish businessman. So maybe he's not as maybe he's not as organized as I once thought before.
1: Well, I mean, he seems like he's pretty organized, but maybe the the question is maybe there just isn't as much support. I I mean, he seems to be confident that well, at least publicly, he's confident that he'll ha- that he has enough support and it's just a question of the time it takes to uh gather all those signatures and get all those people out. So, it does look a little bit questionable and the fact that the team is having a really good run of form right now. Is uh, I think probably influencing some people to not sign. Whereas, yeah, if it had all happened in the summertime, it probably would have gone uh, much smoother or much faster. probably would have gotten all those signatures pretty quick.
0: Yeah, when we record next week, we'll have a better idea and obviously it'll be closer to the deadline. So if he has like 14,000, then I'll feel confident that he'll get that vote. But if he's around 12, then... I don't think he's going to get it.
1: Yeah. And I think another big factor is, um, and this is something that he's banking on, particularly with relation to the dates and the deadline, is how many home games are going to, there are going to be before the deadline because he, he gets a lot of, um, he gets a lot of signatures done on a, on a game day in barcelona
0: exactly i remember you have to sign your life away right you have to fill out that form that's going to take like 10 minutes you know so right uh much easier to do it in person and at the game where you get the most so there
1: yeah absolutely okay now here's another thing that i want to talk about i feel like this is also mostly for me so this week there was this event uh that happened Uh, where they uh, had a ceremony for the laying of the first stone of this new uh, stadium named after and dedicated to Johan Cruyff. And at first, I wasn't too interested in this at all as far as getting it on the show this week. But after it had happened, I read the article about it on the club's website, and it started to become interesting to me, mostly because of the sort of insane amount of symbolism and nostalgia that they injected into this event right so it's your pretty standard laying of the cornerstone event you know there's people with hard hats there's shovels involved and people speak and all that sort of stuff but this stadium uh, which is going to be in the uh, Ciutat Sportiva right you know by the training ground here are just some facts about it right so first of all it's named after Cruyff right who is I think Without any argument, the first saint and prophet of Barcelona's modern era, right? So there's already your symbolism, your nostalgia, your sentimentality, and the event was held on September 14th because Cruyff wore the numbers nine and fourteen. And then in attendance at this event, you have Iniesta and Delphayu, right? Both La Masia graduates from the first team. Then from the B team, you got the captain Palencia and Alenia, another notable, you know, rising star from La Masia. From the women's team, you had Laura Raffols and Marta Unsué, both captains. And then, this is the best part, they had two under-12 players, one from the boys' side and one from the girls' side. So they had cute little kids. So from first-team graduates of La Masia down to the under-12s, the event just totally hammered home the heart of Cruyff's legacy, which is La Masia and the principles that it uh, you know embodies. And... Also, this event included uh, a time capsule element, which, oddly enough, the time capsule is going to be opened once the stadium is done. Once the stadium is constructed in about 14 months, they're going to open up the time capsule again (laughs) and put all the stuff out on display when <laughs> when the stadium's done so the artifacts include um the I'm, I'm doing air quotes here the artifacts included um a small statue of Cruyff a ball signed by all the first team players a shirt signed by the rest of the players and this is another quote the, the shirt that was signed by all the rest of the players is in the name of all the footballers at the club and some other stuff having to do with the construction, you know, like a hard hat and the town that it's in, in San Juan Despi, uh, newspapers from the day. And here's the, another funny part current banknotes. Just so you know, when we buried this all of a year ago. <laughs> But then the kids lowered the box into the ground and everyone helped pour sand over it. Okay, so here's my feeling about this and why I want to talk about this. Because I'm a very romantic, symbolic kind of guy. And as a fan, all of this symbolism and nostalgia is really touching to me, right? And it gets me feeling sentimental. And I can only imagine what the intended effect is on long-time supporters of the club. But then, because of all of this sentimentalism it starts to feel really manipulative to me. You know, it feels like Bartomeu, who is responsible for this project, and it looks like a really cool project. It's part of the whole Espai Barca complex that they're going to build. It looks like a really ambitious and big project. Um, But he's really doing everything he can with this event to pull at the heartstrings of the fans, which is just a little suspicious to me at a time when he knows he's under fire.
0: All right. Um, I think the only thing that was missing was the release of doves and a flyover. I mean, that's (laughs) um, yeah. Wow. I mean, I saw I, you know, I just saw on Twitter, like basically Iniesta pouring sand over the, the the time capsule, but I didn't know it was a time capsule. That's just hilarious. A time capsule for 14 months. I did a time capsule when I was six years old and I opened it when I was 18. You know, that's like a track to like something else. You know, it's a very significant time. But 14 months, like what's the what's the point? But anyway, did they have like a Bartimeo, um get out of here front cover on the newspaper or something like this? I don't know, on the time capsule. But, uh, you know, this is definitely a, a, a complete, you know, as we talked about previous about how bad their PR was, this is the opposite of that. This is like, you know, PR 101. This is what you do to stamp home the Cruyff legacy. Uh, Obviously, for me, actions are going to speak louder than the ceremony. So we'll see what happens in the year with Elena, with the other Barca B players coming up. This is great, you know, building more grounds for not only the male team, but the female team growing the game, obviously um, giving more opportunities to children in the Barcelona area. That's awesome. But again, you know, like you said, this is, you know, with the Cruyff as the patron saint of Barcelona and all the nostalgia Uh, you know it's a little over the top for me
1: is the mini a study like not good is it like not a good place to play or no it's fine it's just you know new is better right like the thing is like that area is
0: you know is in need of some new stadiums with new features like the biggest complaint uh you know like when i listen or um, listen to other podcasts about La Liga is the Wi-Fi situation in the stadiums, right? Because the stadiums are so old, they're not uh, outfitted for new technologies. And so this is just something like that. Like at the New Camp or the Camp new they... If you go in the press box,
1: you just laugh like everything is wired. Like it's just there's no way it can handle laptops today. It's all typewriters and uh, telegrams, basically. Basically, (laughs) just like in the natural, right? Like in the movie, movie. (laughs) (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I love the natural. So
0: yeah, yeah. So again, you know, it's not that it's a bad stadium, but again, it's just getting modern facilities and new things. You know, it's just like in the states when you get a new football stadium, it's like not only is it the field. The fan experience, but it's also like the locker rooms, right? When you go into the locker room of the camp, no which I did two weeks ago, um, you know, it's, it's a very old locker room. You know, it's just like almost like my high school had a little bit better situation. You know, it's not that it's not a bad experience. It's just upgrading the facilities.
1: Yeah. OK, well, at least they're, they're, they're making an, a good new facility. And that's that's positive. So we're good yeah. for that. And, yeah, and I just get a little I, I start feeling a little bit icky, especially when you trot out the under 12s. I'm like, dude, what are you doing to me? What are you trying? What are you pulling yeah. here?
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, that's the thing, right? Like, uh, children uh, help deflect that negative press for Bartomeo, you know? You just put him up in front. You know, just think about, like, when they do the lineups at the beginning of the games. All, the kids are always cute, you know? And then you put that in front of this whole negative press. It's like, oh, I can Maybe Bartomeo isn't as evil as we
1: think. Right. Well, I don't think he's evil. I just think he's actually not as—I think he's concerned with things that a lot of us fans are not concerned with. yeah. Anyway, speaking of the uh, the current form of the squad, the first team, uh, Barca have really started off La Liga and the Champions League strong. And here's something that I've noticed in the media. they, they There seem to be a, a lot of emphasis in the media um, that the success that Barca have had with the La Liga campaign and the first game in the Champions League is somehow entirely Messi's doing, right? There's the sport cover, un tridente llamado MMM, <laughs> Messi, 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 right? ESPN analysts giving Messi all the credit, yeah. etc. You know? And I'm just wondering, is that really the case? Is he actually carrying the whole squad on his back? Or, what I think is more likely, is it that Valverde's management is building the team around Messi again so that he can shine? Because before, you know, last few years, we had... Neymar and Messi and Suarez and now without Neymar you have to build around your highest quality player which is Messi but he still can't do it all by himself you have you have to make everyone else work around him and there's 10 other guys on the field who are all really high quality players
0: first of all I would recommend you stop watching ESPN FC because that show is like who can loud or who can scream the loudest with their opinion it's almost like the Stephen A. Smith of football shows right for example, last night I was watching, you know, you put this YouTube click in our documents here and I was watching something else. Man, you can't even understand what they're saying because they're yelling so much. Anyway, that's my thing. No, that's a good point. Yeah, but um, Valverde, you know, it's a combination of everything. You know, it's, it's it's Messi stepping up for sure. That's one thing. Messi has definitely taken the reins of the attack even more. He's more responsive. But then also it's Valverde's management, his tactics, the way they're spreading the, the field even better. The defense is better. They haven't given up a goal until today. But, you know, it's all these little things I put together. I think that last season or last two seasons, Lucho – just put the, the 4-3-3 out there and just said, all right, Messi, just do whatever you want because Messi kind of went through the middle, didn't have that discipline, wasn't high-pressing to get after the ball. Obviously, Valverde is asking a lot of him, but also demanding the same thing from other players. I was reading something else as well that, you know, the reason why Jordi Alba is having such a good season so far, like he just looks renewed and so forth, is because he's playing quicker, whereas Neymar used to hold the ball up a lot and hold the play and then make the pass, to, you know, to build up the attack. If you notice now, Alba and Iniesta are, are combining better. And that's also giving more space on the left. And then like we talked about earlier, you know, in previous episodes, I always say you have to have the space on the right side. So Delafeu or Dembele now. And so Messi now going up the middle, playmaking, shooting, Suarez at the middle. I mean, it's too much for a defense to handle.
1: Yeah. And so this video that we're referencing, I want to actually uh, point this out. Uh, it's this really good YouTube channel called Talk FCB. On YouTube and uh, this guy comes out with these videos and they're just uh, he's very well researched it's all his own original analysis and uh, he pulls some some content like graphics and things for the videos from from other sources but as far as what he has to say and his take on things it's It's really all original. He's very, I think, intelligent, very thoughtful. He really does his research. So it's a really good YouTube channel. I I really like it. I highly recommend it. So uh, check Talk FCB. So he had this one video entitled How Barcelona Have Adapted Without Neymar. And he talks exactly about how Alba is more active and he looks renewed this year, partially because Neymar is gone. Because, like you were just saying, Neymar tended to help hold things up. The two of them did not link up well. You could watch any game from last year or the year before, and you could see that. And now Alba is just running down that left side like crazy, and he's doing great things. Um, so he talks about that. He also talks about like the the importance of the fullbacks. So like another thing was um, that we were lacking, I think, in the game against Getafe is Semedo. You know, you see how how Samedo helped everything. You talked about this last week. Having such a strong defender slash attacking defender on the right side in Samedo opens things up so much. And then Rakitic doesn't have to come back and defend. Whoever is on the right attacking side doesn't have to come back and help defending. And you saw Delafeu doing that with Sergio Roberto against Hitafe. So that's really important. And then Busquets anchoring the midfield, you know, the entire midfield running through Busquets and the back line running through Busquets. How important is that? So it's not just Messi. It's all of these things. And, yeah, this video really details it beautifully.
0: I also think, too, that, you know, Neymar was a superstar. So superstars usually have more, you know, they have more freedom. They don't have to be so into Um, disciplined of what they're doing in the play of field right so Neymar is so great you kind of go okay you know I'm going to have him play left he may not do all the things I want him to do discipline wise maybe pressing high not give the ball up that much these type of things but then obviously he has moments of brilliance that makes Neymar now that we have Dennis Suarez, we have Dembele, we have Delafeu, who are young and they're not superstars, they have to pay attention to Valverde in order to play. And Valverde is asking him to be disciplined, to press high, and to keep that space. So that just is a chain reaction going backwards as well. You know, like we said, Jordi Alba going up with Iniesta, he can go up. And now the defense has so much to worry because there's so much uh, players in the last third that are being spread out. Uh, If you look at last year, like in this talk FCB, he highlights it as well, just the passing combinations on the side, in the middle, and how that's working out, and obviously Busquets just being the machine in the center mid. So obviously Valverde, with each game progressing, each player is getting more comfortable with the style that Valverde is asking. Now going forward, like today's game, uh, it's going to be the use of the bench to save those legs because pressing high is very taxing for a long season. And we're going to – you know, we have games – twice a week coming up for the next couple months now so it's going to be important how he uses that bench but I've been very pleased with how Valverde has managed especially Dembele Delefeu Denis Suarez like these players uh, just giving them confidence to be disciplined and to work well with Messi as well.
1: Yeah, so that, I think, segues us very nicely into talking about the the first match of the week, the earlier match. Uh, it was the game against Juventus in the Champions League at the Camp Nou uh, last Tuesday, the 12th. And uh, happily, the Barcelona scored three goals and Juventus didn't score any. So a great result. And what you saw in that game was a lot of the sort of realization or coming to fruition of of uh, what Valverde has been trying to develop tactically in the squad.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, is like, I I don't want Barcelona to be so predictable on game days, right, like, that, I think the last three years we've been so predictable on our tactics. Maybe a couple of times in the classical we adjusted a little bit. But again, in this game, there's been pictures and videos of sometimes when Barca was on defense, they were in a 4-4-2 formation. So I like how Valverde has been, Val Green, I forget, Val Green has been able to kind of put little wrinkles here and there just to always have the opposite team thinking about different situations on scouting, you know. And these are the type of things in the big games that are going to make or break that because, you know, the talent level is so equal. It really comes down to those minor little tactical adjustments uh, of which tactical adjustment works and which doesn't work, right? Um, Also, another thing I wanted to mention was like the shots. The shots on goal came from the middle and to the left side. Obviously, I would like a little bit more balance on the right, but obviously a great performance all around getting a little bit of a revenge on Juventus and also... Buffon was the last major goalkeeper that Messi hadn't scored on and he took care of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it was just a matter of time as long as Buffon kept playing. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe he should have retired last year. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing too, is like, obviously, uh, dominated with passing with possession. Um, they had a high pass total of like 700 more passes. Um, the other thing too, is I, I'm a left footed player. So when I played, I always loved attacking from the right side going towards goal because it was easier for me for my left. And the way Messi's first touch, the first thing, thing—that it's just the best first touch I've ever seen. But also the way he goes towards the middle and always cuts it back to that angle because that's how he scored the first goal. If you watch his highlight, he scores so many goals that way. And they're not the most powerful shots. It's just all about angles and just practice, right? If you watch Buffon he, on that first goal, he doesn't even he doesn't even move. Like he doesn't even know that the ball's going to go that way. He looks, and it's in the back of the net. So uh, that brings us to you know my man of the match was obviously Messi. So uh, who was your man of the match? Uh,
1: well, I mean, I have I have some issues around the whole man of the match concept, but um, and and like if you want, we can get into that. But I picked Busquets as my man of the match. Let's talk about your man of the match, obviously, for many, many good reasons, which uh, I I expect you to detail momentarily. Could I just start it off on a slightly negative note and then we'll and then we'll work up from there. Uh, Of course. We'll
0: we'll do we'll
1: do we'll do a compliment sandwich. How about that? Right. Exactly. So Messi was booked for dissent. He was given a yellow card because he got pretty much in the referee's face telling him you should you should have given a card for that. What, what's your take on, on that kind of thing? This 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 gesture where you shake your fist. It, it, you're not shaking your fist. You're, it's like you're holding a card, right? What's, ha, how do you feel about that gesture?
0: Well, it depends on the player, right? So, like, for me, Messi never asks for that, right, as much as, like, other players do. So I feel like if Messi's saying it, then there's obviously something that's going on. But at the same time, I was always a player who I just always put my head down and let the referee do his thing. I just – the referee has his own opinion, his own viewpoint, and – I was never a hot-headed player. So for me I don't like it. I just want That's why I really like Messi because for the for the majority of the time he never really gestures that way, you know? So when he does do it, it me it kind of means something has happened.
1: Yeah, probably. And maybe something did happen. I mean, I, I don't I wasn't totally on board with the officiating in that match uh, in general, though. He, I mean, he did a good job. He did a g- good enough job. Um but yeah, I mean it's it I just wonder if there's some kind of like strategic idea to it because you know that he's not going to – you know that the referee is not going to give the card, right? You're actually trying to like set something up. You're trying to just like make the referee aware for the future to try and like curry some – get him thinking later on.
0: Exactly. You're just setting it up and just to put the – it's almost like in the NBA – for example in the playoffs like if a super like for example i'm a warriors fan steph curry wasn't getting calls so the coach comes out in the press leading up to the game and saying you know he's a two-time mvp he's not getting these calls and what happens in the next game he inevitably gets some more calls so it's the same type of thing you're you're telling the ref you know you give him a card then all of a sudden the rest starts to focus hyper focus on what's going wrong with messi because obviously messi is such a superstar so if he's doing this that means there's something, you know, people are kicking at his ankles and so forth.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that out of the way, let's talk about all the great things that Messi did in this Juventus match.
0: Yeah. I mean, for obviously the two goals, you know, amazing. He's just on this amazing Champions League run, especially at the beginning of the season. He's been scoring. He's been assisting. Um, obviously, like I mentioned before, he hadn't scored against Buffon, but he changed that. And then also he was just really in charge of the attack. Um, distributing, getting the ball, linking play, these type of things as he always does. But for what you know, another thing too is like, like I always say, since there's more space on the left and the right, he's able to maneuver better than he was last year. Last year, everyone knew he was going to go left and he was triple teamed and he had a really difficult time, especially at the end of the season of breaking free through that. But now with the balance, he's able to find passes. He's more free, obviously getting better quality shots. So it's just leading to more goals, and obviously Barca is flying high. So
1: tell me about your man-of-the-match, Busquets. Well, okay, so here's the thing. Um, Busquets gets a lot of credit in commentary when people are talking about the game as it's happening, and he gets a lot of credit uh, when analysts are talking about it afterwards. But he's rarely, if ever, declared man of the match, right? Because he isn't high profile. His role isn't high profile. He's not a goal scorer. He's not even a playmaker, right? But he is the, the heart of that midfield. But there is something that I noticed in that Juventus match uh, on the first goal. And I'm going to detail this one thing. So Piquet and Umtiti were both out very wide. And Busquets had dropped back into the center. Even with two Juve attackers creeping in, they knew that they could rely on Busquets' skills to hold the ball. So, so Umtiti and Piquet, they didn't feel the need to come back in. They stayed out wide because they trust Busquets and Ter Stegen behind him. Now that opened up space that Juve then tried to press into, and that allowed Ter Stegen to play the ball out wide to Piquet. And with the space downfield that was then opened up by this press, that allowed Piquet to play it down to Dembele, and they had all kinds of space to create the goal. And if you look at that goal again, that first goal from the Juventus match, Messi is just standing there in like an acre of space, unmarked, completely. And I think that's partially because of how not just Busquets, but the center backs and Busquets were all positioning themselves and the the luck that that Juventus was at that moment seeing that space and trying to press into it rather than being more reserved right so they took advantage of a a situation as well and then overall if i look at busquets stats he had 94 touches he made 87 passes with 93 percent accuracy which is like actually very standard for busquets every time the guy is so consistent everything runs through him so he's he's my man of the match i think that's a good man of the match and uh you know those stats
0: are gaudy because even if like i played right now against 10 year olds let's say I don't even think I could have 93% accuracy on passing with that amount of touches, and he's doing this on a professional level. I love Busquets. I, I, a lot of people, especially like the guys on ESPN FC and English Premier people, they don't respect him. They think he's a flopper, but he has this one move that is so subtle, but really, I mean, it's so effective. And watching him do it at the per, where he uses his back to shield the player and he doesn't even touch the ball and he lets the ball run to itself and then pass it off. It's like ballet for me. Like I love watching that play. And in the game, he did that a couple of times. And again, PKM and T have so much confidence that he's not going to lose the ball and he can do that. it opens up that space and they're able to create chances. And obviously in this opportunity it was the goal. So, yeah,
1: it's just so important.
0: Exactly, and I think you know, like we were talking earlier about your 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 anti man of the match. I think going forward, we're going to do man of the match, but we're not going to select Messi going forward because, like you said before, Messi is man of the what? Man of Barca? Man of the century? What do you want to say?
1: No, I, I think I think what I said was all time man of the match. He's just enshrined. There you go. As man of the match for all time. So this this will be for me Messi's first time and last time because I think.
0: Uh, we should highlight other players and their contributions to victories and to the matches.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and we're going to pick that back up when we uh, get to the end of the discussion on the Getafe match. So this brings us back into La Liga territory on Saturday. Um, And for us, this just happened uh, like an hour or two ago. We're recording right after the game. Barcelona went to Getafe, a suburb of Madrid and uh, pulled out a tough, tough win. Um, Some notable fun things about it. It was Ter Stegen's 100th appearance as a Barcelona player, which was great. Won the game 2-1 thanks to a goal from... Well, the second goal came from Paulinho. The first goal, you know, a little more standard, but the second goal was a bit of a shocker for us. A bit of a surprise coming from Paulinho. But that means that uh, Barcelona won and they are still staying at the top of La Liga table with a spotless record after after four games.
0: Yeah, so, you know, like you said, we're, we're just finishing watching this game. Actually, I just had to listen to it. Um, I was unable to watch the video of it, but I listened to the whole game. Hitafe is a suburb of Madrid. You know, it's always kind of a tough place to play because it's a small stadium. It doesn't get that much uh, people to go there. But also the way... You know, these type of games are always going to be difficult for Barca. These away teams where Hitafe's Super Bowl is this game, basically. So all their players get up for this game. They're going to park the bus. They're going to play physical. And the field is shit. So it's like these three combinations, right? So it doesn't play in Barca's flavor. But obviously Barca was able to pull the victory out. Um, just a quick little story. When I first moved to Madrid, I used to have to teach in Hitafe. To this guy, and Hitafe is a weird kind of city of Madrid. It's like this new suburb, but it's all industrial parks. So it's industrial parks with these condos, so people don't have to travel that far. So Hitafe doesn't really have a following because a lot of people who live in Hitafe follow Real Madrid. So what Hitafe started was a dating app to hook people up in Hitafe. So they can have children and become Hitafe fans, which I think is a pretty great idea. But obviously the people aren't really with Hitafe. So Getafe is a kind of a weird uh, club. But again, really happy that Barca got the victory because from what I was following on Twitter and when I was listening, it just didn't seem like Barca had the energy needed to really take the control of the match. And Hitafe brought it to them.
1: Yeah. Well, not only were they really physical and really defensive and organized in that way, but they actually did have a lot of quality. I mean, their first goal from uh, from Gaku was a killer. I mean, like that was a good shot. So they actually do have some quality. They aren't just bruisers.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said, this is like their Super Bowl, right? So it's like... Um, you know, when a champion has to go through the next season playing teams, it's always really difficult because the other teams always gear up for that game against the team. And this is what it reminded me of. That volley was spectacular, right? Like that was just a, a hitter. But again, Barcelona should be able to handle. Now, my, my only question with the lineup is what we have on our notes here why was Somedo out? And if you're going to take Somedo out, I would have rather played Vidal than Sergio Roberto just because he's a fullback and just let Sergio Roberto go for Rakitic or something like this and put him in midfield. But I think that really kind of set the tone for the game with Sergio Roberto on the right. Then that puts everyone in flux again, like especially Rakitic.
1: Well, yeah. And first um, Dembele was on the right and he and Sergio Roberto were not like linking up well. They, they couldn't really get the ball moving down the right side. They kept getting stalled because uh, the, the two of them just weren't connecting. Then uh, Dembele moved out left and Messi came out right. And then there was actually some more stuff going on. Messi was opening up some space that Sergio, Sergio Roberto was getting into and they were getting more forward on the right side, which was nice. But then Dembele uh, came off with an injury. And Feu came on for him. And then he took the right-hand side. And then he and Sergi Roberto were getting along nicely. But, yeah, the combination of Sergi Roberto with Dembele wasn't working. And, of course, we know that Sergi Roberto is good going forward. But he's not super reliable on the defensive end. And, you know, you, you got to have that when you're going up as on an away game against these, these tough teams.
0: But, again, this is kind of the thing. Like, okay, so Val Green puts his lineup. It wasn't the strongest, and he made adjustments, right? Uh, with the Dembele uh, injury, he put Delefeu, so that occupied the right, and then he took out Iniesta and put Dennis Suarez, and Dennis Suarez had a great game. He had the goal, and he looked uh, with a lot of energy that brought the team up from from the dead, you know? So that definitely helped as well. So Val Green coming up with the great substitutions and also bringing Paulinho in for the game winner. It was so classic because people are like oh my god Paulinho's coming in like the reaction on twitter and there's like what if he scores the game winner and of course people are like flipping out right so you know everyone knows my opinion about Paulinho i you know i'm i don't know i i'm mixed you know because obviously he hasn't done anything bad for barcelona and he just won the game for us but still i i think i've just still not upset, but just torn about it, just the way we got him, you know. And like we talked about before, he's on Barcelona, so we should support him. If he keeps having these type of performances, then obviously, you know, he'll win my heart. So
1: right. And again, I I, I keep coming back to this. I don't think it's so much Paulinho that we have had issues with, like you said, the way he came in, and really the people behind the fact that he that we that he was signed. Right? We're talking about the board. You know, we're talking about. Bartomeo and the sporting directors and that sort of thing. Um even though like you, you you were more negative about him as a player in general than I was, but I guess you just had you knew more about him. But yeah, like you said so far, he hasn't done anything bad. He has a fairly specified role at this point. Uh he hasn't started yet. He's not really a starter. He's he's a uh, someone who's going to come off the bench and you know create a different situation. Uh which is a good thing. And it just so happens that uh, he he was bursting forward into some open space. He took the initiative, and it worked out really well. And he's and he's physical enough, which is what we needed in this game, I think. Well, maybe, maybe not, actually. So I have a thought on this. Hatafe was really physical, and Barcelona responded with their own physicality. And in fact, I think putting on Delefeu, even though it was a necessity because of Dembele's injury... I think putting on Delefeu was really good and Paulinho coming on was good because they can both be strong and physical to to meet Gatafe's physicality. Um, you know, in days of old, maybe five, six, seven years ago, Barcelona would have responded to that physicality by just moving off the ball more and just passing them to death because they had that skill at that time. They had the players who could do that and maybe right now they don't. So instead what they can do is they can respond to physical with physical, and I think it worked out really well um, with with Delefeu and Paulinho. Yeah, I mean,
0: especially like on Paulinho's goal, you can see the guy bounce off him, and he strikes the ball. And it reminded me a little bit of Ronaldinho a little bit, like when Ronaldinho had that run, and people used to bounce off him a little bit like that. Before, like you said, when we had physical... Um, opponents we would outpass them and it's you know sometimes you, you have to meet physical with physical so it's good to have that option and Val Green has always had physical teams in Athletic Bilbao so maybe he kind of instills that a little bit in practice as well so Val Green so far has been on fire you know first four matches in La Liga first four victories building that lead against Real Madrid so I've been really happy with Val Green's tactical um you know adaptation like that's such a huge thing is to be able to adapt on the fly because that's what he did in this game and he was able to get the points so brian who was your man of the match for this one
1: for this match my man of the match was delafayu because um well actually it was kind of tough to pick a man of the match because it it wasn't um it was a fairly even match a lot of the times like no one especially stood out but i would say that delafayu Uh, He brought a lot of strength and tenacity to his game, which was good going up against Hatafe. He helped to create a lot of chances, and he contributed a lot to the equalizing goal, Barcelona's first goal. He actually was very involved in keeping the ball, and his physicality and his skill helped to do that. And how much he was coming back to defend and help Sergi Roberto out on the defensive end of things. You know, I just I like Delefeu because he has a lot of skill. He runs hard. He works hard. He's strong. You know, maybe he's not as um, suave on the ball, but he does have skill and he has all of these other things as well. Um, he made the attack on the right side threatening. And like I said, it was not working with, with Sergi and, and Dembele. So it worked out well with him and Sergi. How about you? Who was your man of the match?
0: Uh, My man of the match was the FC Barcelona app.
1: It's a good one. So
0: without it, I haven't been... It's a good one. Yeah. So it saved me again this time. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have good Wi-Fi in the house that we've rented. So I was able to listen to the match, the FC Barcelona app. It did not let me down. It pressed high. It scored the winning goal. So it did all the things I really wanted it to do. So I was really happy with the app. But uh, but going back to what your comments about Delefeu, you know, this is the thing is that now Dembele is going to be out, right? So he's going to have another opportunity to keep proving. And if he keeps having opportunities like this, he's going to play. He may not start all the time, but he's there's so many games in the season. He just needs to continue to do what he's doing, uh, producing at a high level uh defending when he's bo- when he's asked to defend and he'll find time on uh on the major games as well.
1: Yeah, so we're really stoked that the Barcelona are still at the top of the table. They're still spotless on their record, 4 for 4 wins. And uh, looking forward to, you know, how things progress. And they're going to have another match to play in La Liga very, very soon. I do not understand this scheduling. I- I'm sure it has something to do with the Champions League or something, you know, messing things up. But they just played on Saturday against Hetafe, And now they have to play again on Tuesday against Eibar. So Eibar is going to be coming down uh, to Barcelona. They're going to be playing in La Liga or in the Camp Nou. They're going to be playing in Camp Nou on Tuesday two days after the match. So what, what are your thoughts? Tired legs? Um, well, it, it could be, but
0: the good thing is they're playing at home. Uh, this is the part of the season, like September, October, they're going to be playing twice, uh, twice a week. Then there's a little bit of a lull, like in November, December, and then it ramps back up in January, February for champions, Copa del Rey, and all these things. So it's really weird to me. They just had an international break, so they barely played for two weeks, and then all of a sudden they just start going into these full uh, games uh, twice a week. I don't think they'll have tired legs. If anything, um, with I- Ibar at home, he might be able to use a little bit more of the bench. Maybe take Rakitic out, put Sergio Roberto in there, put Samato back in. These type of things. But I think um, I think they should get the victory, especially being at home. That's a that's a plus.
1: Yeah, and with all these developments we've been seeing in the tactics, it didn't exactly uh, work out as well against Getafe as it did against Juventus. I mean, that game against Juventus, they they were just so in control, so disciplined, and well organized. And I honestly do think it had a lot to do with Simeone being there and his absence was really strongly felt against Hitafe. but in any case if we see this whole tactical project that Valverde is on continue to develop uh, in the A-bar game and especially because it's at home I totally agree you know IBAR is not a particularly threatening side we should absolutely get the win but you know after last year I still feel nervous when you talk about those games coming up and like that you that they should win and then they don't you now, granted, most of those were away games. So being home, being at the Camp Nou, it's probably going to be good.
0: Yeah, I think they should get the victory. And the other thing, too, is, you know, that's the other thing that we always kind of overlook. But on the away games, the pitch size is so much smaller than the Camp Nou. So that's why we're really good at home, because we can really spread it around, keep possession. But again, like in the Hatafé field, it's tighter. That's why you can be more physical with Barca. So I think that they should be okay with this match on Tuesday against Ibar.
1: Yeah, Now and then the other match is going to be on Saturday against uh, Girona. Girona? Am I saying that right? Girona. Girona. There you go. In Girona. I went to Girona once. It was uh, was lovely. But yeah, so they're going to be playing in Girona. So that's going to be a road game. Uh, Luckily, Girona is not far from Barcelona. So the last time that I visited Barcelona, we took a a day trip to Girona by train. It was about a one-hour train ride. And... Uh, my funny story about that is that we went to the train station, we bought our train tickets, and then we had about an hour to kill before the train would actually take off. And so we're in town and uh, I was hungry. So we just found a small little restaurant to grab some food in Barcelona. And uh, we sat down and said, yeah, give us the lunch special. Now, it turned out it was a three-course meal. So... They brought us the first course, and I thought, oh, this looks delicious. Okay, ready to go. Nope, here's the second course. Here's your chicken. I'm like, oh, wow, this is really good chicken. And now we're starting to run out of time. And I don't speak very good Spanish. I I do not speak Spanish well. I definitely have my problems understanding it, especially when a native is speaking it really fast at me. But I summoned like everything I could to tell the the lady who was serving us. We need the check now. We have to go. So I and I'll never forget it. I I, I still don't feel a hundred percent confident that it was like a good sentence, but it got the idea across. And what I said was, "La cuenta, por favor. Necesitamos uh, encontrar el tren." <laughs> And she at least looked at me, she gave me a little bale, 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 And I'm like, all right, cool. We're getting the thing. And they packed up our dessert and gave us our check. And we made the train on time and ate our dessert on the train to Girona. It was great.
0: Perfect. That was, that was you know, you got the job done, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, that that is one of the best things living in Spain is what you just described, the lunch thing. That's what's called the menu del dia, where they give you a three-course lunch uh, with coffee, dessert, and it's like 10 euros. It's yeah, it was cheap. It's between, yeah, it's between 10 and 15. And it's fantastic. That is like one of my favorite things to do uh, to eat out to lunch because it's such a complete meal. And it's it's so cheap, you know.
1: Yeah. But so like, any thoughts on I mean, I, I think it's kind of the same things we were, we've been talking about. You know, it's, it's a way it's not terribly far, but, you know, the pitch is going to be shit. It's going to be smaller.
0: I mean, it's just going to be Hitafe, you know, all over again, basically. This is going to be their Super Bowl. Hirona is going to be sold out. You know, a lot of times for these matches to get the tickets for Barcelona, you have to buy 10 other games, right? So a lot of people, Hirona fans, want to see Barcelona because obviously they're the Messi and these type of uh, caliber players. So it's going to be the same thing. Shitty pitch. Thank God it's not too far. You don't know about the weather, um, you know, the fans and the physicality of the game. But I think just what I've seen so far, we should be OK to get the points. But now that we have a little bit of a
1: lead, having a tie doesn't necessarily a bad thing as well. Right, right. And while we're recording this, we we actually don't know the outcome of the Real Madrid-Real Sociedad match. That's happening um, after this episode is released that'll that will have happened but it's before we're recording so we don't know what's going to go down with that but you know real Sociedad has also had a good start you'd probably expect real madrid to uh, to beat them but they've had a rough start so yeah like it wouldn't be so bad for us to get a tie of course we don't want a tie we, we want to win every single game right
0: yeah but like my you know when i was listening to the match this morning in my bedroom my dad walked in he's like so how are we doing today and i said we're losing one nothing he's like oh my god what's going on with Barcelona? I was like, dad, you can't win every game, man. Like, you know, you want to win every game, but you know, just sometimes you come out flat. Right. Um, so yeah, that real associate that game is tomorrow. So I'm going to definitely check that out because that should be a really good game. I think they're playing in San Sebastian. So that's even better for us. Yeah. They're playing in San Sebastian. So that's, That could be another loss for Madrid, and that could just extend our lead even more to give us more flexibility for the season.
1: Yeah, and as far as the Girona game goes, I I think is not as strong, and they don't have as much quality as, say, Getafe. So even though The basic idea is probably going to be about the same. I don't think they're going to be as effective at it. So I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that um, what should happen will, in fact, happen. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is that Girona is going to be playing twice a week, too, and they
0: don't have the squad depth that Barcelona has. So that's the other thing that goes into this. But again, I'm confident that we will at least get one point or more
1: all right everybody that's the show for this week thanks so much for joining us we want to remind you to be a part of the show give us your comments your questions your topics you would like us to discuss and we will do it because we are like trained dogs visit us at BarsaTalk.net, leave us a review on itunes and my personal favorite even though no one has taken me up on this yet call us on the phone line and hear your own voice on the show uh, if you're in the u.s it's very simple it's a u.s number area code one. Six seven nine five two eight five three. you know i we love all the feedback we get on social media you know twitter facebook all of that uh instagram but i'm an audio guy so if you could indulge me a little bit i'm an audio guy give me some audio that i can put on the show i would love that the number again is seven one six seven nine five two eight five three until next time i am brian henderson i'm to quiroga and this has been barca talk thanks again for listening Vísca barca